Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Jake Elliott. You found us. It's Lacrosse Classified on Lax All-Stars. The podcast is back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here once again on Lacrosse Classified, presented by Extreme Threads and Associated Labels and Packaging. We'll get into our new sponsors a little bit down the line here. But first, I need to introduce my brand new co-host on the Lacrosse Classified podcast. It's Evan Schemenauer out of Saskatchewan and the author of the Random Thoughts blog on Lacrosse All-Stars. Evan, welcome and thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for picking me up. I'm looking forward to this and really looking forward to the new format on Lacrosse All-Stars. You betcha, and uh, a lot to talk about. We've been away for a little while, and lots happening since we've been away, and, and most of the discussion, of course, Evan, around the collective bargaining agreement, or lack thereof, I suppose you could say, in between the Players Association and the owners, the Board of Governors, if you will. At a bit of an impasse here is the season in jeopardy, in limbo, as uh, we wait for a collective bargaining agreement to happen between the two sides. So a lot of the focus on today's podcast will center around that. We have a couple of special guests uh, coming up. And Steve Bermel from Isle Indoor, Stephen Stamp from Isle Indoor will come up later. Off the top, uh, we're going to have a bit of a surprise guest come on off the top. And then in between all of that, we'll have Peter Schmitz and Dave Suckamore from the Professional Lacrosse Players Association join us to kind of give their side of things and and we'll bounce some things off of them as well about what's happening in the collective bargaining agreement, what they are looking for to get a deal done and and what they think it's going to take for a season to happen. So we'll look forward to that all coming up. But before we do any of that, I think uh, we need to get a little housekeeping out of the way and we'll get my good buddy, my former partner, the color analyst for the Vancouver Warriors, None other than my man, Brad Schellner, join us on the podcast here in Lacrosse Classified. Bradley, this is a little bit different. We don't normally uh, do this sort of thing. I'm interviewing you, which seems super weird, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, what's going on, man? I'm doing well. It's nice to hear uh, both you guys' voices. I'm glad that this is uh, an exciting new opportunity for both of you, and I'm going to be uh, your number one subscriber. Hopefully, I'm your first subscriber on iTunes, and I'll be your biggest fan here on out. So, yeah, tables have turned a little bit, but uh, exciting new start for, for all three of us gentlemen, I guess, right now, fellas. Yeah, so, uh, uh, new year, and we're stoked. Well, you, not only can you be the first subscriber, but you can also say that you're our very first ever guest here on the new Lacrosse Classified podcast as well. So, for fans that don't know, um, and I think most do, but Brad has been retained by the Vancouver Warriors. He'll keep his position as the color analyst for the new Vancouver franchise. I have not been retained, which is okay. Brandon Astle and Brad Chowner will be your new broadcast duo in Vancouver. They're going to do a fantastic job. But other than that, Brad, I know you're kind of pushing out some content for the Warriors uh, on their website. What other things you got going on for the Warriors? Yeah, so right now it's uh, VancouverWarriors.com. I've been working on profile pieces on a lot of the uh, the players expected to make a big impact this season. So I've talked to Logan Schuss, Reese Dutch, Aaron Bull, Dan Lomas, Owen Barker. Uh, some exciting, some exciting new guys that are going to bring some underdog quality to the club. You know, I think it's been a big thing for Chris Gill and Dan Richardson to find guys who who kind of had something to prove. And I think Owen Barker is the guy who's ready for a shot at the league. He's one of those guys. And, and Dan Lomas, who who played 14 games as a rookie for Rochester but had to watch the championship run uh, 
on on the practice roster last year, and he's got something to prove too. He wants to prove that he's a full time guy, and he's going to get a chance to do that this year. So all those guys profiled this week. Uh, chatted to Matt Beers this morning. That'll be up uh, probably today or tomorrow. And then working on a piece uh, about the right-handers, guys. There's nine offensive righties heading into training camp when the Warriors kick things off, battling for, as you know, like four spots. So that's going to be uh, an area of focus on uh, how many of those nine are going to crack the active roster uh, on game day. Yeah, I mean, this team had a rough season last year, 2-16. and 16. What do they need to do to turn this around? Everything. Complete uh, complete overhaul. And I don't think Dan and, and Chris have been shy about uh, stating that fact either. There's going to be a, a lot of new faces and, and new energy. This team needs to be hungrier. It needs to be younger. It needs to be quicker. Uh, it needs to be a little bit more well-rounded and, uh, and fast-paced on offense. The ball cannot stall in the National Lacrosse League. And I think they're going to bring in some pieces of the puzzle that are going to swing that ball around and make sure that a different guy can be the hero on any given night if you can't rely on some of your snipers uh, here and there. And, you know, it's been built around the transition game for for the Vancouver club the last couple of seasons. And, you know, the Warriors are going to change that. They're going to go back to being a physical presence and they want to be a pain in the ass to play against on that back end. So I think there's going to be some different leaders stepping up, a lot of new faces, and, uh, and see what 77 can do in the, between the pipes because they haven't had any consistency there. Uh, as we know, guys, in a long time. And Aaron Bold is about as consistent as it gets. So I think it starts with him, starts with the nasty defense in front of him, and then a well-rounded offense. So this team's going to look completely different here in a couple weeks, and I couldn't be more excited to see how they put it together on the floor. You got a prediction on what the record is going to be? Will they make the playoffs? Uh, What's your outlook for the season? Playoffs is a definite goal. Playoffs is a goal by any guy you speak to. They want to get there. I think you're playing in a division this year where – you think Sask is going to be in. Calgary has very little turnover. They're going to be a strong team again. But, you know, if they're fighting for the third playoff spot against an unproven, unknown San Diego expansion team and a Colorado Mammoth team that have some question marks themselves, I, I truly believe that this revamped roster can, can get back there, get hungry enough to make a playoff push. So I'd love to see a 500 season. I think it's completely doable, and I think a playoff spot uh, is definitely an opportunity for these guys. What does their move to Rogers Arena mean to this team, and how is that going to impact how this team operates in the future? The players are just so stoked. Like you talk to any local player who's stepped in to Rogers Arena, whether it's been for a concert or a Canucks game in the past, or going back to Ravens days. Like it's a big deal, and you know they all have great things to say about Denise Watkins and the former ownership, and of course the Landley Event Center, but. The first thing that these guys say when you ask about what Rogers Arena feels like, and they say it feels like the big time, and they're going to feel like professional athletes. They're going to get treated like professional athletes. They're getting they're getting access to top notch physiotherapists and 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 fitness testing equipment at Rogers Arena. They're tapping into all those resources. Uh, they they feel they feel like they're part of something new, and they feel like pros. And I think they're stoked to be to be downtown. They know it's going to be a different kind of fan base, and they hope it's going to be a bigger kind of fan base but everybody just feels like there's a real a real fresh start and something that they can be proud to build upon speaking with color analyst of the vancouver warriors brad challenger one more for me Charlie. um i saw one of the, the tweets coming out from the the warriors twitter account that the turf has arrived at rogers arena have you had a peek at that and have you had the tour around the Rogers? Have you been up to the Jim Robson broadcast booth and, and got the, the full meal tour around Rogers Arena? What's it going to be like calling games there? 
it's going to be pretty sweet. Like last time I was up in the Jim Robinson broadcast booth, I was uh, producing a Canucks game on, on TSN radio back in the day. So going from uh, pressing buttons next to Shorty and Tom Larsh, I was actually calling a game is an absolute, uh, absolute thrill, dream come true, and something I ever thought I'd be able to do. So I'm pretty stoked. I uh, haven't been in there since the the announcement of the team, so I haven't got a tour of the broadcast facilities yet. We're working on uh, maybe broadcasting uh, an exhibition game or getting a sneak peek at something coming up here if the season gets going. But um, just being in the in the offices, like the first time I went up, the elevator popped up on the on the eighth floor, and there's all there's the Stan Smeal jersey, there's the Trevor Linden jersey, there's a Burray jersey. Just just being in the, the building there is just so beautiful and. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a brilliant tower on top of Rogers Arena, some businesses in there, some offices too, and some, some apartments. And they're actually the Warriors have been put up a bunch of their players in those apartments. So you might be seeing some snaps or some Instagram shots of guys with like a sick view of BC Place and downtown Vancouver right out of their front window. Well, those guys are actually living inside <laughs> Rogers Arena. So it's pretty cool for the players to, uh, to be that, took, that tapped in and literally just hit an elevator down and they're, they're in the gym inside Rogers Arena and they're, uh, they're ready to, to, you know, hit the floor and go toss it around. I know there's some problems with the turf. The turf actually came from Carolina, and Carolina got hit by a hurricane not too long ago. So I think the facility where the turf was being made actually had some damage to it. So I think it got here a couple of weeks later than we anticipated. But uh, the turf has arrived. It's started to be rolled out, and, uh, and so is this team, and so is this club. And how is it going to feel opening night? You had Jake as your longtime broadcast partner. Um, how unusual is it going to feel not having him there? It's going to feel weird. I'm going to have a little hole in my heart for you, bud. You know that. <laughs> you know, always will. But I've done games with Brandon, and he's an absolute professional. We did the Man Cup together a couple of seasons ago. And, you know, he, he's one of the best in the business, too. And he, he knows this sport. He's been on the road with Vancouver in the past. He knows the players. And, uh, He's going to do a great job, and like I told you, Jumbo, when when this all went down a couple months ago, man, like you've got a voice, you've got a following, and I'm glad here you are launching this new podcast or this revamped version of the podcast, and and still using that voice and still trudging forward, man, because you got some important things to say and a lot of people that want to hear you from it. So uh, kudos to you, and uh, Evan, going to be excited to uh, to hear your thoughts every week, man. I know I've been reading your pieces. Every week for the last couple of years, it be nice to hear, uh, you know, that voice in my head is actually going to be yours this time coming through the speaker. So that's going to be kind of cool. So looking forward to what you two boys are uh, going to be putting together here. Well, thank you, Bradley. You can probably thank Evan. It was his idea to kind of get this podcast back up and going and get it onto Lacrosse All-Stars. So a lot of thanks has to go to Evan. And I wanted to say that, you know, part of what makes a good writer in my opinion is when you read his stuff you can hear his voice so when i've been reading your player bios your voice comes through right through the page on me and uh i've really been enjoying that and i'm gonna miss you too pal i know brandon you will do a a fantastic job i look forward to the broadcast and uh appreciate the kind words i appreciate you stopping by and best of luck uh with the warriors coming up this season we'll have you back on before too long i'm sure Thank you, fellas. Yeah, anytime uh, you know where to find me, glad to be able to be part of the first episode. And you guys go out and crush it. Like I said, you guys got the biggest voices around, so uh, so keep using it. Use that megaphone, use that platform, and uh, talk to you guys soon. Peace. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Brad. Color analyst for the Vancouver Warriors, Brad Challoner, and hopefully uh, he's up in the Jim Robson broadcast booth before too long as the season's set to go. 
uh, about, well, just under a month from now, we're supposed to kick off here. And uh, the next two guys that we have coming up here from the Players Association, Dave Suckamore, Peter Schmitz will join us here on Lacrosse Classified. You got it right here on Lax All Stars, brought to you by Extreme Threads and Associated Labels and Packaging.com. Stay tuned. Schmitz, Suckamore, coming right up here on Lacrosse Classified. All right, welcome back to Lax Class. Jake Elliott, Evan Schemenauer with you. Uh, just ahead of having on Peter Schmitz and, and Dave Suckamore from the PLPA. And Evan, um, obviously a lot of things have taken place over the last six to eight months, I guess. The players have opted out of the CBA. And there's an impasse now. There's been negotiations going on back and forth. Both teams have rejected multiple proposals and here we are, uh, just you know, three weeks away from what is supposed to be the beginning of the season, and it looks like the teams, or the two sides, I should say, are probably further apart than what anybody would like at this point. Um, I don't know if you want to give like a brief synopsis on, on kind of where the two teams, uh, I keep calling them teams, I don't know why, but the two sides are at right now and, and what you think is going to need or going to take to, to get it done here, or uh, should we just get the boys on the line and get after it? I mean, the, the simple fact is for the most part, this was kind of kept quiet up until about three weeks ago. And then the players started to come out and be honest with the fans. And I know there's a lot of frustration out there amongst the fans saying, why didn't we know about this? Why it took so long? Um, you know, the reality is a lot of the smaller issues have been worked out. But the problem really becomes this whole revenue-sharing situation and how that's calculated and what financial information the players are going to get from the owners and all kinds of things going back and forth. Uh, you know, we got a game coming up in Saskatchewan in on Friday, a preseason game, 8,000 tickets sold. We're finally going to start to see the first financial impact of what's happening happening this week. So I don't think we're going to have a deal done by then, but we're hopeful December 1st comes around, we got something done. Yeah, the the main kind of points that the PLPA is, is really kind of stuck on is getting revenue sharing from what they're calling five bucket items, and that is ticketing. So uh, that's pretty straightforward. What comes through the turnstiles as far as ticketing goes? Sponsorship, concession, parking, and merchandise. Uh, those are the five things that the players feel like they deserve a share of. And really, I think what it comes down to is how big of a share are they asking for and how big of a share are the owners willing to concede on. And I think that's kind of where the impasse is. I think the owners are, are kind of looking at one number and the players are looking at a, another number. And those two numbers are a significant distance apart from each other. And they got to find a way to meet in the middle. Yeah, and I mean, the reality of the situation is, you know, most fans are siding with the players. They understand these guys are making an average of 20000 U.S. a year. It's not much. But the flip side to it is, a lot of these teams are still losing money. So how can the owners realistically offer a whole bunch of new money and these teams just continue to rack up losses? It's a tough balancing act, and it's not going to be easy to figure out. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it is that there's, there's a few teams and Saskatchewan's probably one of them that's, you know, on real stable ground and, and probably making a profit. You look at Colorado, Buffalo, Calgary, 
Um, these teams are probably making money, not a lot of money, but they are making some money. And then there's other franchises around the league that are that are hemorrhaging dollars. And that's kind of where they're like, you're you're trying to bite off way more than there is to chew because there's still franchises in this league that are losing money. And now you're asking the owners to pay out more money and lose more money. And, you know, that's, that's just not good business. So, you know, I've always kind of been a player's guy. I've never played in the National Lacrosse League, but played lacrosse at a pretty high level and always kind of took side of the players saying, you know, these guys deserve whatever they can get. And I have, and I always, and I still kind of maintain that, but at what cost? It, are, are, are you going to ask for so much that the owners are going to be forced to cancel the season? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense because then you're not making any money. So I want to see the players get what's coming to them, but not more than what's coming to them or not what doesn't make sense, if you know what I mean. And I really – I don't know if their view on things is askew and, and they think – that there's something there that's not or whether maybe we don't know exactly what is there and they do and they're asking for what they think is fair. So, you know, they've asked the owners to open the books. They've asked to, to be transparent and they've asked for a lot, a lot of things. And, and the yeah, fans are going, you know, pay the players, pay the players. But I, I think that's because the PLPA has come out and been a little more public in what they are looking for and what they are asking for, where the league and the owners have tried to kind of keep it in-house and keep these negotiations private and, and don't want to get it out into the public on what's happening. And that kind of leaves the fans in the dark a little bit, Evan, and, and they don't really understand the owner's side of things. So, you know, I've had a chance to, to talk to a couple of owners and some executives uh, throughout the league and trying to get a, a better handle on their side of things because we've only really seen or heard from the players association so far and hopefully that changes and and if and if it comes to that you know hopefully somebody will come on the show and, and kind of go on the record with things but you know for the most part I've I've got some some statements and I've got some quotes and and what have you that I'll share as we move along here but nobody's really kind of stepped up from the league or the board of governors and say, yeah, I'll come on and I'll go on the record here because they kind of want to keep this thing in house a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting in a situation really where I think both sides understand a labor stoppage is not the thing they want to do here. Like this league's finally got some momentum. You got some big investors coming into it. You know, San Diego's got a home opener December 8th, you know, They've been promoting that game for four or five months now. If they miss that, they miss a major opportunity to grow that fan base. And so there's a bit of a sense of urgency that we got to get something done here. But, you know, the last little while we haven't heard much as to is either side actually coming to the table with something new that we can bridge the gap? Well, we're about to find that out, and we'll do that right after this short break here on Lacrosse Classified. Back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Classified here on Lacrosse All Stars, presented by Extreme Threads and Associated Labels and Packaging. Jake Elliott, Evan Schemenauer, with you here, and now joined by the Executive Director of the Players Association, Dave Sacamore, and the President of the Players Association, Peter Schmidt. Fellas, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Jake. Um, so maybe what we'll do, because we got two of you on the line, and then you have me and Evan as well, maybe when we 
address a question, we'll address it to one of the two of you. Or if you guys want to defer an answer to the other, maybe one of you guys can just say, you take this one, I'll take this one. So we're not all kind of speaking over each other. It's a bit of a unique situation here, having four people in separate locations all in the same line. Um, so maybe I'll start. And, and Dave, I guess I'll start with you. Um has there been any progress over the last, say, 24, 48 hours uh, as far as negotiations go? It's been uh, very, very quiet uh, since we uh, rejected the league's uh, uh, offer five days ago on November 7th. It has been very quiet. We've been continuing to update our players, messaging them with uh, regular conference calls, usually every other night, emails, stuff like that, updates. But it has been uh, has been very quiet. I, I think the league is uh, uh, obviously holding conference calls and trying to what the, their next move is and and look the uh, the games back on and get. So Peter, you guys opted out of the CBA back in January, and we're in November. How did it possibly take ten, eleven months to get almost very little headway on this whole thing? Well, let me take it further back than even that, because a lot of what um, we're trying to do has to do with the opt-outs by the owners in the prior CBA. There was a seven-year contract prior to the one we opted out, and um, after five years, the league opted out, claiming uh, significant issues um, relative to profitability. Uh, so at that time, we used uh, a financial consultant by the name of Charles Bennett, who we've used before and is used by the NBA Players Association, NHL Players Association, the PHPA, the uh, NBA Players Association, very well uh, versed at um, uh, league, sports league financials. And when we hire him, his comment to us, uh, guys, I'm going to tell you what I find, not what you want to hear. And... Um, this, this kind of resonated with us, especially when he came to us in this last negotiation after having worked with us before and indicated, uh, uh, guys, you guys got to work with these guys. They've got a lot of teams that are struggling. You do have some teams that are doing very well. Um, they have no willingness to revenue share amongst themselves. So it looks like you guys are going to have to take a bit of a hit in order to see that the, the league survives. So, in the again, in the prior CBA to the current one, uh, the one we just exited from. Um, the players essentially took two games for free. Um, they, they had, well, I should say they added two more games and did not change the salary structure. Um, they also fixed um, the men's, the maxes, the rookie pay, and then created a new level below veteran men, um, which in fact had that second-year player making close to 30% less than he would have as a veteran then. Uh, and, again, these were fixed for four years. Um, and uh, that kind of brings us to the current CBA uh, that we are the one we recently opted out of, where there's been some significant improvement to the, the, um, the ownership model. Um, uh, and it's continued to improve with Buffalo having purchased, interestingly, the Rochester franchise. Uh, Rochester will move to Halifax, uh, but Buffalo will now have two teams in the league, and um, they did this without a CBA executed. In other words, we opted out. Uh, we're in negotiations, and the sale continued to go. 
So we had started negotiations. Um, I think our first proposal was somewhere around March. So we opted out in January. By the way, the reason with the opt-out was in January was because we asked for an extension from the November um, original opt-out date because um, we had expected to get more financial information from the league. And we also expected them to have a counter or have a proposal to us because we know they wanted to have in more than two years left on the term. Um, so before opting out, we kind of gave them the opportunity to come to us with a proposal for a longer-term extension, um, which we were sort of promised was going to happen on three separate occasions and never did. So they sort of forced our hands with the opt-out because the players had two major issues that they needed to be addressed. One was the additional three weeks um, in the season that got added to last year without any discussion amongst the, with the players or the PLPA. Um, unilateral change to in terms of conditions of employment that uh, we took um, uh, uh, what well, we objected to. Um, and, uh, and the other the other issue is um, we we felt as though we need to have some kind of mechanism that in the event things continue to grow, um, the players would be brought along with it. We don't really have much of that in the contract, say the franchise fees which is somewhat unique to our sport. Yeah. So the, we've had a series of com- – we, we had a requirement once we opted out to have four um, dates for negotiation uh, within six months of the opt-out date, and we accomplished that. Um, Dave has a kind of a schedule of when the, the uh, negotiations took place, but there was a significant lag in between – I think the second proposal or the third proposal from the league, uh, from us, I should say, to the league, and uh, it went 10 weeks without a response. And that brought us up into, I believe, September. But, Dave, maybe you want to add. Yeah, our, our, one of our proposals to the league was on June 26th. We didn't hear back from the league until we received a proposal on September 5th. So if you do the math, I think that's around 10 weeks of virtual silence. Did they give so, you a reason for that? Uh, no, I, you know, no, not at all. I mean, I don't know if it, everybody was off the grid and, and stationing or what it was, or maybe it was just something that, hey, we know these things uh, down to the 11th or the 12th hour, and, uh, you know, that's when it means something, and maybe we'll get at it then. I don't really know. I can't speak for the owners or the Board of Governors or what they were thinking, but virtually crickets for 10 weeks. Speaking with Dave Suckamore, the Executive Director and the President of the PLPA, Peter Schmitz. Uh, Peter... Is it common practice to use a previous CBA as kind of a guideline heading into a new CBA? And where I'm going with that is, you know, you mentioned, well, we conceded this five years ago, seven years ago, and we gave up this in order to keep the season going and keep the league moving forward. So going back and revisiting that CBA, is that something that is common practice when negotiating things like this, going back and saying, hey, do you remember when we did this? Now it's here. It's your turn to concede something. So it is common practice to use a prior CBA as a framework and a go forward uh, for a new CBA. Um, unless, of course, you move from to a totally different format, kind of like what could happen with a part-time players we currently have moving to a, a full-time scenario which is contemplated currently in in both of our proposals um, but going back to like what I think your point is is can we use 
the fact that the players gave uh, gave back to the league, if you will, in the prior CBA, uh, and and look to do a catch up in this CBA. I don't see why not. Um, certainly, if there's if if the the league seems to be moving in the right direction, um, and we believe it is. And um, on top of that, uh, the um, the the reasoning for it was financial disclosure that they were more than happy to give to us when they were doing poorly. But now that we see good things on the horizon, the again the complete move movement towards um, NHL franchise uh, type of ownership that has arena control, has concessions control, parking control, merchandise control, much more opportunity for revenue generation compared to the old format, which is basically a principle that has to rent out an arena, um, we think that offers a lot more opportunity and upside for the players to participate. When's the, last, when's our, the last time that... Give that? Sorry, Peter. When's the last time that the league opened the books for you guys? Well, they claim they gave us information that we should be able to utilize um, in, I think... Uh, Dave, when, correct. When was when was that financial disclosure? Or that the information they supplied to us it was right around the first negotiation. Uh, it was just it was, it was prior to uh, us opting out because we were trying to make a determination as to whether we we're going to opt out of the CBA, which had to be done on or before November first. Yeah, so about a year. Uh, yeah, so this past season, so that's when we were. Uh, you know, getting the information in from the league. Okay, so I mean, you mentioned you've mentioned a couple of times that the new ownerships coming in, in regards to Comcast and Joe Ty, Francesco Aquilini, some some pretty heavy hitters, guys with a lot of wealth and financial backing behind them. But is is it not kind of the fact of the matter that there is still franchises and and probably close to half in the league? that are still losing money and, and significant money, not just, you know, thousands of dollars. We're talking millions of dollars over the course of a season. I know there's got to be some sort of balance there with, you know, the the bigger players, if you will, and the lesser lakes, if you will, and, and try and find some sort of happy medium. But it kind of seems like you guys are basing your requests off of this new ownership model that's coming into the league when really there's still franchises around the league that are, are losing money. So how, where does the justification come in for asking for more? I'll, Do you want me to take that one? Or I'll, 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 I'll take it. You can jump in when, when you, uh, when you want Pete, but the justification is, is, um, you know, there's no guarantees here, but we, we want our players to be, uh, ATR, average team revenue. So if the league does well, if, if the league grows, and we want the players to, to grow with them. We, would, we don't want the players to fall behind. So there, there's not a hard and fast rule that players are going to go up this much or that much. Who knows? Maybe there, maybe there might not even be uh, growth in the league so the, the players wouldn't grow. So what we're saying is if, if the league grows up, based on average team revenue that the players would grow up with it. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And everybody has to look at this and remember that this is to be a partnership. And that's the biggest thing. We just want to partner with the league and make sure the players don't get left behind. Is it a certain percentage that you're looking for? 
it would be average team revenue would be the the uh, percentage increase year year after year. So if there was an increase, and uh, that percentage increase was say uh, higher than the uh, increase in the mins and the max of the player salaries, then we would want the salaries to drag up for the next season at that that percentage increase based on the ATR. And a, and that's on a year by year thing. Sorry guys. Yes. Yes. So, Peter, we're, we're looking at this uh, situation here. Um, you know, we're looking at hard caps, equal caps across the league. You know, you but you got a team in Saskatchewan that's got 15,000 people in the building at night. you got Georgia who, let's be realistic, 1,000 people in the building. How do we equalize this out when there's such disparity amongst the revenues of these teams? And if I can add further to that, guys, like a lot of these ownership groups now own the buildings that they're playing out of, but in places like Halifax, Georgia, even New England where it's a partnership, Jamie Dowick with Toronto does not own the ACC Center. I know you you talk about your five buckets with sponsor merchandise, ticketing, concessions, and parking, but a lot of these franchises are not seeing revenue from either concessions or parking and some franchises franchises are seeing that revenue. How does that all get averaged out? Is it are you guys now asking the ownership groups that own their buildings to supplement the owners that don't own their buildings? No, no, there seems to be there's a misunderstanding here. Um, we had asked that, by the way, some three or four CBAs ago. So because essentially they're partners, they can't play against themselves. So you either consider the rest of the league to be a partner or you don't, and you let them kind of fend for themselves. And if they can't fend this for themselves, they go away. Um, so we had indicated to the owners, why don't you, you know, we're not that, we don't have that many teams. So why don't you guys figure out a way to revenue share amongst yourselves? Um, they re- resisted that, and, um, and it ended up, we ended up wasting a ton of time. And they lost a few franchises, and then some of them are still struggling. Um, but back to your point here about uh, the – you know how we're looking to tap into these revenue streams we are not looking to, to revenue share with the owners we're looking to find out and to figure out to benchmark what their percentage increases are on a yearly basis so it doesn't matter if there's disparity what it, what matters is what overall take all the team's revenue together one year that's the new benchmark the total amount and then if there's a difference in the next year of, say, 5%, um, then, and I'm talking total, total average team revenue, um, then the player's salary threshold, mind you, would increase that amount. Um, okay. Or if, if, it's less than, if it's less than the minimum, of which is either 4 or 45 or 5%, those are all negotiations right, going on right now, then it would be the greater of those two. So we we are not looking to tap into the revenue share. We're just looking to tap in. We're using the barometer of year on top of year total increases on average to use as a barometer to increase the threshold. Now, within the thresholds of the veteran men and veteran mats lie around 80% of our players. And the league has the ability to negotiate within the men and the match. And the players can either take it or leave. So they still have the majority of control as to what their total payroll will be. We're looking to just raise the ceiling, the possibility, 
and also raise the, the floor. Right. So that there's a, there's a consistent increase. And that's, prob- that's probably where the more concern comes from is the raising of the floorboard. I, like you said, players or owners don't have to sign players to the max if they don't want to sign them to the max. But if there is a minimum and that that price has gone up and the, and the practice player minimum has gone up, that's maybe where a concern is for the for the owners on that side of things? Well, we, we it may be, but it's, it's really, in the whole scope of things, embarrassingly insignificant. Um, I think their bigger concern, unfortunately, is they are, seem to be reluctant to partner with the players on the potential for increased revenue streams that may come out of a, uh, the growth of this league with the better partnerships that are going on. And the better so Dave, arena, better sponsorship relationships that they can generate. So Dave, we're, we're looking at a situation here. The, my understanding is the owner's counter proposal is based on a drop count or, in essence, Correct. attendance numbers. Uh, right. Is there any concern that those numbers are inaccurate? Because realistically, if drop count increases, all the other revenues should increase within a reasonable range of that same number. Well, that's not necessarily true. First of all, you're based on the attempt. Sorry, Dave. I'm jumping. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. Uh, the you know, when we got the published cap, um, attendance from last year dropped from the year before that. So we don't consider this to be a true uh, indicator um, of what revenues are. And on top of that, um, Saskatchewan sells out. For example, the other a lot of the other franchises are pretty consistent across the board. So you're not looking at the prospect of year-over-year increases of any significance. However, the league could start to create other sources of revenue. It could be funneled down local TV. It could be greater sponsorship that comes in. It could be a major sponsor that ends up having some of it diverted directly into the the, uh, um, the franchises. There's a a ton of additional revenue streams that are going to, kick in as the league continues to grow. And our concern is that we may be left out of at least having some kind of tie-in to that increase as things move forward. Um, that's our biggest concern. So it, it's – I mean – Sorry, Evan. It's, I, I, I can see uh, – just a follow-up here. Like, I, I can see a fact of, you know, Georgia reports 3,800 attendance on average. Anybody that's seen the game there knows that's not the case. Is you know is that a concern that that number is being manipulated in any which way or? Well, we would have to we would we would be able to audit this. So we're, we're not concerned so much about whether we're going to get the correct data. We don't think they're going to fudge it to us. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that um, these big boys you know do. I don't think they'll they'll want to get caught making inaccurate statements, especially you know when there's prospect of lawsuit from doing that. But I, I think that's the least of our concern. It's really more. What's it worth? More around, it's really more around the fact that it's it's just one of the five buckets, if you will, of um, revenue generation that the teams have access to. And in fact, it, it may have hit its maturity, and, and the players will, will not benefit, even though the league can continue to grow other sources of revenue. Um, and, and, and again, that's that's where we're concerned about the. Uh, but the appearance of a um, not wanting to partner with the players. Speaking with Peter Schmitz and Dave Suckmore of the Professional Lacrosse Players Association here on Lacrosse Classified. Um, so the more I listen to you guys, Peter and, and Dave, the, the more I kind of feel like this 
new CBA that you guys are looking for is more geared towards the future and what is going to happen, potentially happen and probably happen and hopefully happen rather than what's happening right now. Absolutely. I mean, the way we look at, we don't want the players of today or the players of tomorrow to be left behind. And we want, like I said earlier, players grow with the league. And uh, if the league grows, we want the players to grow right with them. want to have a, a partnership here. And that's, that's what a partnership is about. So, um, it's it's important, and the players understand it. Our messaging has been very clear and precise uh, to our membership, and uh, everybody understands it, and and they're uh, fully unified on on this. Do you, the, with the new deal with Turner Broadcast Live, Bleacher Report Live, and these new franchises with San Diego and Philadelphia, and of course uh, the Canuck Sports and Entertainment taking over the Warriors. Is there a fear, or maybe fear is not the right word, but is it? do you think it's a wise idea to jeopardize that new relationship with Bleacher Report and the rolling out of these new franchises, potentially missing a season and stopping all this momentum that has been created over the last 35 months by holding out and not having a season? Is that is that a risk? that is worth it to you guys to get the deal that you're looking for right now? Well, I think it's, it's absolutely worth the risk. Um, the, if you don't get it in now, when you have the kind of leverage that players theoretically have, and, and listen, I, I strongly feel as though our offer is fair. Um, I don't think we're trying to extort the league. Um, we certainly have a lot of leverage. We could be much more boisterous with our proposal than we are. Um, I mean, significantly more. I, I'm still not satisfied what we, with what we have um, on the table, candidly. Uh, but I think we, we framed it as, as a partnership, and I think we want to live by that. The reluctance to um, allow the transparency and, and allow us to um, have access, and again, with confidentiality agreement in place. So this information will not be distributed beyond our financial consultants. He would not even be able to dictate to us who um, who the particular revenue streams belong to. I mean, you know, to a certain degree, we'd be able to figure out if we dissected it, but that's not the point. The point is, we're just trying to to create a benchmark to see the improvements above um, on a year-to-year basis, so we can tie our salaries to it. We think that's pretty darn fair. Now, I understand so far that you know we've got a situation where you know things like the expense reimbursements and the players' uh, salary while they're away uh, from work have been fixed. Is there anything other than this revenue-sharing agreement that's still outstanding on this deal? Oh, there's, there's actually term. Term's a big one. ATR's a big one. How long oh, of a deal are you looking for, Dave? Pardon me? How long of a deal are you guys looking for? Well, right now what we have on the table uh, is, a, is a one-year deal. And they've rejected that, though, right? It did, but we, we still have the one-year deal on the table uh, because we we feel this is a um, ability for the owners to uh, uh, get the seasons going uh, so the, the, the great fans of this league can, can start to watch lacrosse so our great players can p- play this game. We feel this is an ability for uh, to get things back on track and, and for the parties to continue to negotiate uh, if- during the season. 
to try to come to a an agreement on uh, ATR and, and some other things. I mean, the luxury tax thresholds is another important thing for us. The fact that we need uh, we need that tied to the ATR, as, as well as some escalations for uh, revenue streams uh, uh, built into sponsorship, television, and licensing, as well as group group licensing monies. We do, we don't want them uh, flatlining. You know, in a seven-year deal, uh, that's not good. Uh, so we need some escalations there. So you know, there's a handful of issues, um, and I don't know if I've missed any, Peter, but. Uh, um, I, I think that, uh, that's that's where we're at right now. So I, I know you guys got a one-year deal on the table that they've rejected, but ideally, are you looking for another seven-year deal with a with an opt-out after five, or you know, would you be happy with a three-year deal if uh, if you can find some middle ground? What what exactly is the the ideal scenario for you guys? Well, I guess our our general counsel uh, Ron Jarris from way back when we. Uh, we started the Players Association 25 years ago. He says, if you make the deal sweet sweet enough for us, then, you know, we, we would sign in perpetuity. So uh, with that being said, if, if the deal is good enough, then you always uh, try to keep an open mind and look at it and say, hey, is, is this good for the players? Um, irrespective of, of whatever we do, the deal has to be good for the players, for the, for the membership and the rank and file. That's We have the best – we have the – the um, interests of the players at, at heart. Peter, are you and the Players Association willing to cancel a season to get the deal you're looking for? Well, you have to be. I mean, it's our only leverage. Do you think you the owners are? Play. Do you think the owners are? I'm sorry? Do you think the owners are willing to do the same? Um, I, I think there's a few owners that would consider it, yeah. Are there any talks scheduled between the two of you any time in the future here? Well, our phone remains on, and at this point, there's nothing scheduled. We know there's a owner's conference call going on, I think, as we speak. Um, I guess there's been some reluctance for them to come back with a proposal to us, thinking that um, they'd be negotiating against themselves, which we disagree with. Um, but they know what our situation is. We've made it very clear that the that the ATR, the average team revenue, some kind of ability for us to move along with any any expanded revenue streams. Um, again, and not directly participating. That, I think that's an important important item that seems to be getting uh, misread by um, by a number of people, including we believe some owners. Um, our concern is that we maintain a percentage increase that mirrors the revenue increase on average that the league okay receives. so i just i just want to be super clear on this guys because I, I i'm not exactly sure i'm i'm understanding fully and and if i'm not understanding i'm not the smartest guy in the world i'll, I'll come clean on that but i want to make sure <laughs> our fans and our listeners are understanding as well so if the league revenue as a whole so that's all 11 teams you pool all that money together this is how much the league made Say it's an increase over 10% of what it was in 2018. Say they play the 2019 season, there's a 10% gross revenue for all the teams combined. As the Players Association, they are looking to get the same increase in their salaries, 10%, to mirror what is happening with league growth. Okay. Minimum, we have a minimum built in, and then there would be effectively the greater of the two. Okay, it, it, let me ask. Let me ask. Minimum. Sorry, Peter. Let me ask you this then, and and God forbid, but say there is a decrease 
in revenue, would that in turn would the players' salaries go back down? No. Now there's a fixed there's a fixed uh, increase. Now again, th- let's not forget this. The the owners have the ability within the mins and the maxes, and I mentioned before, only ten percent, slightly more than ten percent, are are putting their heads up against the the ceiling of the max. The rest are in between. And the owners, since the player movement is virtually nil until you're age 30 or better, um, they can still negotiate within that number to keep their um, the salaries in check, if you will, or their salaries at a level where they feel that they can um, survive. Um, so is know, the, the 4% increases to the men or the 5% increases to the men and the, and the, and the threshold rookie pay and second-year player pay uh, are not huge dollars. Um, you had a one-year offer out there. Uh, to be honest, I thought it was fairly generous of you guys to make that because it takes a lot of your leverage away. What were the reasons given for that rejection? Uh, I don't believe Glad you asked that. Repeat. I said glad you asked that. <laughs> Two issues that were outlined in the letter back to Nick Sikavich. First, yeah, first issue was that he wasn't going to be able to sell franchises. Um, which is obviously not the case. Um, he had sold two franchises with best-case scenario, two years left on the deal, worst-case scenario, an opt-out. And San Diego is the general manager at San Diego. I used to be the general manager for Colorado and is well aware of the prospect of us having um, uh, chosen to opt-out. Um, the other interesting fact, Factoid is that Buffalo purchased the Rochester franchise, a new franchise, again, because Rochester is moving to Halifax. But since Buffalo, I guess, has purchased or owns the, the arena there and the Rochester Amherst, they um, chose to buy that franchise, and that's a new franchise. And that was after we opted out, so there was no CBA in place. So the prospect of continuing to expand and introduce new franchises would seem to be. Um, uh, something that can happen without a CBA of any length. And then the other concern he cited was um, player-owner relationships. In other words, um, uh, he didn't want us to have a strike, which we had indicated in our proposal, that we would not during the season. So the two major issues that he put forth as um, unwilling to um, do a one-year deal because of um, – in fact, we think it could be pretty well argued away by those two points. So there was nothing really in the terms of your proposal that they disagreed with as far as the numbers and the percentages and the salaries and all that sort of stuff goes. It was more about not being able to acquire new franchises. And and I'll, and I'll give them some leeway on that, Peter, that you know, for, for a new owner that's not familiar with the National Lacrosse League to buy into a league that is currently having a labor strike or negotiation ongoing, whereas the Pagulas, you know, have already been a part of the league and they know what this league's all about and and, and are pretty familiar with the people and, and teams around it. So I think that's that's a tough example to kind of hedge your bet on there. But you would have to think it would be a little concerning for a new owner to buy into a league that's in a labor dispute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we, and again, but you have Buffalo that went ahead and bought one without a 
a, um, a deal in place. Vancouver had already done it before. So they, they knew there was at least two years. I thought there would be at least two years left on the deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, there is, I'm not sure it's a secret, but there's supposedly going to be an announcement for another franchise coming in uh, this week, uh, which you know, could conceivably be pushed off now. But that franchise wouldn't start until uh, next season at the early anyway. And so it could very likely be just held out until we do hopefully come to a CBA sometime in the future. Couple more minutes here with Dave Suckamore and Peter Schmitz, the president and executive director of the Professional Lacrosse Players Association here on Lacrosse Classified on Lax All Stars. Evan, you're up. Yeah, uh, we're going to see the first major economic impact of this uh, labor stoppage this weekend. We got a game in Saskatchewan uh, against the Mammoths, 8,000 tickets sold for a preseason game. How is that game likely? off the table at this stage? Well, I, I, I would say yes. I mean, it hasn't been discussed with us, but certainly they know the players aren't going to play if, if there's no CBA in place, or at least not the prospect of a CBA in place. And at this point, we're not anywhere close. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, let me jump, take a jump back on, if you don't mind, on the, on the one-year proposal that we have in the place. Um, it, it largely... Um, mimics the first year of the seven-year deal that the league has offered us. So, for the most part, they're they're you know the first year of the seven-year deal that they were going to that they made proposal of the final best offer on. Um, we were going to live by, with the exception of a few points. One was the they want the franchise fee to come through the TA versus direct to the players, which is something I'm sure we can get over. Past practice was that they would pay directly to the players, and we, we would like to see that happen. Also, there's a new caveat they added to uh, um, the missed work pay where the players had to leave prior to 3 o'clock, not to get too far into detail here. Um, and then there also was a... Uh, grievance that you probably heard about that was regarding the um, additional three weeks of play from last year that we had um, we're still uh, trying to arbitrate over. Uh, we had made a proposal for them to pay sort of in a way of a, a signing bonus that would uh, have us waive that grievance going forward. But that's pretty much the only changes to the uh, sort of first year of the seven-year offer they put on the table. So it really isn't much of an excuse. Um, for them not to accept it, other than it's what we stated earlier. Can you tell me how exactly the process works? Say the league comes to you with a deal, say it's a three-year deal, and this is what they're offering you. Each team obviously has a player rep. You deliver the information to the player rep, and then it's the player's rep responsibility to deliver that information to his rostered teammates to vote on and then come back to you guys with a vote for that franchise? Or does it just go to the player rep, he decides whether this is a good deal or not, and makes the decision on the behalf of his team? No, what happens is um, um, our player reps are on our conference calls continually, and so they, they have the pulse of their of their players, what's going on. We also uh, send all the information with respect to proposals and and uh, what we're thinking to the general membership as well. But 
but the uh, the trust lies in the playerettes and 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 the executive officers, the executive officers that have been elected, and also the the playerettes that have been appointed to transact the business uh, of the players' association, the players. So what happens is the the playerettes have have the pulse of the players, and uh, we look to see what direction we're going to go in, and then what happens when there's a um, an offer on the table the executive committee makes a determination as to whether that offer um, is set to be sent to the members for ratification. And, and if the executive committee uh, believes that is not the case, then it, it doesn't go to the membership for ratification. I mean, this, this uh, uh, type of process goes on with all the other professional uh, players associations, and it also goes as well um, in the factory setting and, and, uh, and labor setting away from pro- professional sports. Okay, so there, there's no chance of a situation of, okay, say let's just take Matt Vince for for an example. As I pick a name out of a hat, obviously a well-established veteran in the league that's probably making max money, and he sees this deal come forward to him and has to decide, okay, is this good? And I'm going to present this to the players. Is there could there ever be the case where? this deal is not good for Matt Vince. So Matt Vince doesn't want to sign this deal, but maybe it's good for 60, 70% of the players in the league who aren't making Matt Vince money, but Matt Vince decides, well, this isn't a good deal for Matt Vince. So I'm not going to present it in that fashion to my roster. I suppose that could be, but whoever it is that's elected or nominated or appointed as player representative, we like to think has the pulse of their team and also the respect that he's thinking helps for the best needs of everyone uh, on their squad. And, and again, they've got the balance of having another 10 player reps, uh, not to mention the officers involved, in order to help um, see through anything that might be uh, for the benefit of one and not the be- not the benefit of many. Okay. And we, we've had we've had player reps at the table too, in, in uh, part of these negotiations as well. So they really have their hand on, on the button and, and the pulse of what's going on, and they know the issues inside out. And and their messaging has been very clear to the to the membership, the players on their each and every team. And um, so there's full transparent communication uh, from the executive committee to the members of the association. Speaking with Peter Schmitz, the president of the Players Association, the executive director, Dave Suckamore. Guys, we really appreciate uh, your time coming on, Lacrosse Classified here. Uh, just a, another one from me. Do you guys have a drop-dead deadline of when a deal needs to be in place for the 2019 season to take place? No, it's really not up to us. Um, we, the players are prepared to play when and if we get the CBA. Um, are you prepared you know, to play a, a, are you prepared to play a 16 or a 14 or even a 10 game schedule if that's what it comes to? Sure. We'll see why not. So let's assume you get a deal done here in the next while. What's a realistic time frame to get the players ready and get them on the field uh, for an actual regular season game? Well, many of the camps actually hadn't even been scheduled to start until this weekend. So some some groups are not getting uh, – their start is not um, being delayed. There are some teams, obviously, that have December 1 games, and those teams would have 
theoretically have had some time on the field already together. Um, but a lot of the teams don't start until the week after that, and some don't even start until the week after that. So there's still plenty of time in order to get a ramp up um, with a good, solid, intense camp. Um, and the ramp-ups, and as I mentioned, these players, not that these players are not in shape. They, they've been preparing to be uh, playing in camp already, so and they are continuing to stay in shape and working on their skills and whatever they can, getting involved in pickups or otherwise, so that they're not uh, coming in cold. Um, and remember, these guys are professionals, and they know how they, their body needs to be when they start to get into physical contact. So. I don't think it'll take much time for them. Certainly, there'll be a little, a little uh, rust on the um, on the shelf there for the first game or so. But uh, everybody will have an equal um, uh, position, be in an equal position relative to the conditioning and so on, and, and the team, just the, the amount of time playing together as a team. So there'll be a level playing field there. One final one for me: How realistic is it that we're playing on December first, the season opener? I, I think it, you know, it takes two to dance. And uh, said earlier, um, you know, we're available. They they know we're just. Uh, we still have the ability to negotiate with the league. You know, it's going to take the two parties uh, uh, to come together to get to get this done. So uh, you know, it, it get maybe it, it doesn't get done, uh, but it's you know, these have, have to make it happen if, if they want it to happen. Well, Dave, Peter, uh, you guys are in mid-season form. I hope uh, we can get something done here in the very near future and uh, get the National Cross League back onto the field uh, in front of the fans where it belongs. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, spending some time here with me and Evan and coming on the podcast here to to lay out your side for the fans and answer some tough questions. Uh, it's much appreciated, and uh, best of luck. Please get back to the, to the negotiating table and get something done. Thanks, Jake and Evan. Thank you, Evan. Thanks thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. That was Peter Schmitz, the president of the Players Association, and the executive director, Dave Suckamore, joining us here on Lacrosse Classified. A lot to digest there, Evan. Uh, Some good stuff from Peter and Dave on what the current state is between the two sides as far as negotiations go. Yeah, the unfortunate thing I'm seeing here is it looks like both sides are really dug in on the main issue. So how they're going to come up with a middle ground, I'm not certain. It may honestly take one side cracking to finally deal with it, but at this stage, I'm really worried that whether we're going to see lacrosse December 1st. Yeah, I, I after that conversation, I'm not so sure we will, Evan, and, and you know... The players are obviously unified as a whole, and and I would assume that you know there's probably the lower end of the scale, the rookies, the street free agents that are trying to make the league. They they just want a deal to get done. They don't really aren't too concerned about what they're making. They just want to bust into the league. They want to play lacrosse. They want to be a pro lacrosse player. And then there's the the top end, the upper echelon players that are are really fighting for what's fair and and fighting for the future of professional lacrosse players. And then, you know, I would say there's probably the, a little bit of the same on the owner side of things where there's the new owners like Comcast and Joe Ty that just bought new franchises and, and want to roll them out in front of their new fan base and get this season going. And then there's probably a couple of owners that are 
thinking to themselves, you know what, maybe a season off wouldn't be such a bad idea instead of losing a million or two dollars or two million dollars per year. Maybe I'll just take a year off and save myself some money and, and hopefully things rectify themselves that way. So it, it's going to be interesting to see if which side is going to stay united and, and dig their heels in the deepest and, and fight to the bitter end and, and make it happen. And as we've seen in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, these player and owner negotiations, these collective bargaining agreements are never pretty. And it's it's not something that any league players or owners want to go through, but it's a business and it's something that every league and, and every group has to go through in order for the sport and the business to move forward. And just so the uh, listeners are aware, we did reach out to the owners uh, to have them come on today. And with that uh, said, Evan, not- yeah, I don't want to, sorry to cut you off, but I did get a statement back from the National Lacrosse League, and, and I do want to yeah. read this. I, I, I did have a chance to talk, like I said, to a couple of owners and some executives through the league. So just uh, bear with me while I read out this statement from the National Lacrosse League. The National Lacrosse League has made great strides as a competitive and viable sports and entertainment business in the last three years. Our ownership groups have never been more committed and engaged to growing our sport than they are today. At the core of this success is the relationship with the fans, our business partners, our coaches and staff, and most importantly, our players. Our goal, it has been throughout this negotiation to find a most fair and equitable arrangement to keep the NLL moving forward. And we feel that the offer we have put in for, that we've put forward, which includes a very solid and fair offer, and importantly, is one for the players and the league to continue to build a strong and competitive and exciting business. That is our sole purpose here, the health of our league for all, and we look forward to continuing along that path for years to come. So there's a statement from the league and you know, there's two different approaches here. Like I said, the PLPA has kind of started to move their, move their negotiations into the public eye where the owners have kind of said, listen, I'll talk to you off the record. I'll let you know our side of things, but we don't want to negotiate in public. We don't think it's professional. We think it hurts the players. We think it hurts the league. And they've kind of kept a lid on things in that regard. So there's kind of two sides to it, but I appreciate the league taking the time to to send a statement. And and who knows if negotiations progress, or maybe if they go the other way, we'll we'll get somebody from the league. We're efforting the the commissioner Nick Sakevich to come on and and kind of give a state of the union on on what's happening on the owners and board of governors and the league side of things. Yeah, I, I mean this is going to go on for a while. Like. I guarantee we're going to be talking about it next week. Um, hopefully, a deal's done by then. But well, I mean, I, I I've think heard it's going to take some time. Yeah, I've heard that there's there's certain owners out there that are ready to pull the plug on the season now. So I hopefully we're talking. Like, I mean, let, let me rephrase that. I don't want to be talking about this next week. Hopefully, we're talking about players reporting to training camp. Hopefully, we're not talking about a season that's just been canceled. So if you know what I'm saying here, hopefully we are talking about this next week. And hopefully we're not talking about not having a season. Because right now, after speaking to both sides, I think that's a real possibility that they could just call it off right now. And, and, you know, we've missed training camp for a few. We could miss the first couple of games of the season. We could miss an entire season. It's, It's that dire right now. Yeah, and we haven't heard any talk about replacement players so far, which I think is a good sign. 
I think the fans would be disappointed with the quality of the product out there. But, you know, where, where do we go from here? We got two sides trenched in. Um, I just don't know when or where we're going to see a deal coming. This should have been hammered out months ago, but the situation is what it is at this stage. You're right about that. Uh, that's a lot of talk on the CBA. We thank Peter and, and Dave for coming on. Uh, we're still not done here on Lacrosse Classified, presented by Extreme Threads and Associated Labels and Packaging, by the way, as uh, we still got a couple of guests coming up. We've had Brad Schallner. We've had Peter and Dave. Now we've got a couple of guys from IL Indoor. Uh, one guy, two-time Tom Borelli. The chief editor, IL Indoor Stephen Stamp, will join us next year on Lacrosse Classified. Then Steve Bermel coming up after that. Stay with us right here on Lacrosse Classified on Lax All-Stars. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Classified here on Lax All-Stars. Jake Elliott, Evan Schemenauer, and now joined by a two-time Tom Borelli winner, the editor of IL Indoor, one other than Stephen Stamp. Stamp Erp, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. Nice talking to you. Well, um, we just finished up a lengthy conversation with uh, the PLPA, and originally we wanted to have you on to kind of talk about that because it's it's hard to find guys that know what's going on, aren't really affiliated with any team, and are able to kind of speak freely about it. But now that we've had two real key guys from the PLPA come on and, and a lengthy conversation there, we don't want to kind of rehash all that sort of stuff, but lots of other things going on. Why don't we start uh, with the Bagotaway Cup? I know uh, that's uh, always a fun event that you enjoy calling back east there. Uh, what what happened over the weekend? Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it happens early November every year. It's the Canadian University Field Lacrosse Association Championship, and it's the final six teams. So we have Friday night, you have the quarterfinal games, which uh, uh, Nipissing was there for the first time ever, which is exciting for them. The downside was their, their uh, leading scorer, the leading scorer in the league, was out because he took a vicious slash in their first-round playoff game against Queens. Actually, had his shoulder dislocated. There's discussion about whether it's, his arm is broken or not as well. <laughs> um, yeah, which which is really a shame because, I mean, it's Scott Dominey, and he'd been drafted by the Toronto Rock and this year, and it was his big, you know, a big year for him. So uh, it, it was it was horrendous. It was uh, not very cool. So they're missing him, and then his best friend and roommate Tanner Poole, uh, who was also drafted in the by the NLL this year, is uh, on the team. Is the second leading scorer in the league, and he went and got after the uh, some of the Queens guys at the end of the game. He was very upset about uh, what had happened and got into the official space and probably went a little bit far. Mm. He can kind of understand why. So he got suspended. So they were missing the two leagues, two leading scorers for their first ever game in the Bagataway, which was not ideal. That's um, not and they got cause, no. No, they lost to Brock 18-4. to four, But, uh, uh, and then actually McGill played the host University of Toronto Friday night beat them eleven to seven. It was actually a, a, quite a good game. Toronto put on a, a really good show, but then that got it to the four teams, all of whom finished nine and one in the regular season. Everyone figured would be in the semis. So uh, Western and McGill played in the first round. Western were the two-time defending champions, and they handled McGill fairly fairly solidly. Eleven to seven was the final, I believe, and. Uh, Western looked looked really good. McGill is a young team. They only lose one player to graduation. They're going to come back and be very good next year, but Western was clearly the better team. And then Brock and Trent 
met in the other semifinal, and it was crazy. Brock got up three to nothing. Trent fought back. Brock went ahead by three goals again later in the game, and Trent fought back. Um, Trent caught forced overtime, and things were looking pretty good. Then a crazy, crazy goal with uh, um, Trent had actually tied the score in the overtime, and it looked like we were going to sudden death, and then. There was just a wild play where the ball was ball bounced off of uh, Latrell Harris's shin over. Uh, he well, he he caused a turnover. The ball went off his shin. He's chasing it down. Player got called for playing without a stick, so Trent got the ball. Nick Finley, uh, Saskatchewan rush player, was taking off with the the ball the other way, and Latrell Harris stripped him. An amazing play. Uh, they make a pass across to Campbell Parker, and he ran in and did this one hand fake then wide sweeping shot into the net with five seconds left in the overtime to uh to win that wow. it, was, it was it was wild um and then the final was western and brock and they went to overtime in the championship game last year and they did it again wow. uh, it was eight all and the it was a great game back and forth brock actually led for the entire game the first time western took a lead was in overtime and uh, Josh Wood, the Brock goalie, who was fantastic all weekend. He was he was really really good. Was great during this game. He was there. He was going to be named their player of the game. And then it was I, I honestly I felt sick for him. He he had the ball, went to throw it to a teammate. Uh, he was out of the net a bit. Went to throw it to a teammate. It just kind of took off the top of his stick. Went straight up in the air about ten feet. Landed in Tristan Simeone's stick, and Simeone had an empty net. Just put it in, and Ouch. that turned out to be the winning goal. Ouch. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a terrible way for <laughs> for the game to end in a way. But uh, I mean, it was a great contest and uh, pretty exciting. Really, uh, there's some great lacrosse. Being played in Kufla, a lot of uh, a lot of NLL guys. Yeah. I mean, you look at Trent alone had four National Cross League players on their team, but Latrell Harris, um, you know, there's some other guys. Cody Ward was the MVP. He's been in some camps, so a lot of uh, a lot of great players. Really fun, and uh, yeah, it was just it was a great time down in Toronto. And, and you have to think, uh, you know, given Canada's uh, international prowess, you know, we got a great top end. We don't have the depth that the U.S. does. Tournaments like this can only be something positive to help grow that depth that the Canadian national team needs. Yeah, I think so. I think it can help. I mean, you know, a lot of guys obviously look south of the border for for very good reasons. I mean, there are some, you know, some great programs, obviously, and great opportunities. But there are guys who go to the States and come back and and go to Canadian schools and play in Kufla because they find, for one thing, the student-athlete balance is is a bit more... Uh, there's a bit more chance to, to lead on the student side and really focus on your education. Um, there's some great, you know, great opportunities at great schools in the States, but being an NCAA lacrosse player is a full-time job, and you're kind of going to school around it, you know? So, and, I mean, Latrell Harris, obviously, playing for Brock, played for Canada in the summer, uh, so that was that was pretty exciting for Kufla yeah. to have a player go over and win a medal, and um, yeah, it's just it's good quality lacrosse. I'll tell you what, uh, the West sure needs something like that. We, I mean, we got like SFU and UBC have mm-hmm. have programs. We don't really have like a bag of the way cup uh, like they do in Kufla. I'd really like to see something like that develop out here west. As we talk with Stephen well, Stamp, uh, go ahead, Stepper. Yeah, no, I was going to say actually, I mean, UVic I know has started a club team as well. There's uh, a couple of teams in Alberta. 
Uh, I think Calgary and the University of Alberta both have teams. And we've we've talked. I, I do. I'm the communications coordinator for Kufla, so we've talked to the teams in the Maritime University Field Lacrosse League and to teams out west. And there is a vision to make something. All right. Well, let's get it going, man. Happen. Enough of this talking about it. Let's make it happen. We're, uh, we're working on it. Okay. We're developing the the teams out west and out east aren't yet competitive with the teams in Ontario and Quebec because they're just at a different stage in the in the process of developing their their programs. But um, it's it's going to happen. I think it'll happen. Gotcha. I got uh, one more. I know Evans. Uh, I know Evans got a, a couple more for you as well. Evan, you go sure. first because I want to. I want to finish off with Stephen with my sure. questions. Uh, you're the absolute king of the NOL draft. It's, for those that have never seen Stephen in action. The amount of information he puts out there for the NLL draft is absolutely amazing. One thing we didn't get to with the PLPA, though, a lot of rookies trying to crack rosters this year. How is this delay in the the, the preseason going to affect their chances? I would think it would completely torpedo their chances. Honestly, um, I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know what what Dave and Peter have told you at this point. I don't know where exactly things stand, but I assume from everything I'm hearing and reading and seeing that the camps will be shortened substantially because they're going to have to get ready to launch the season. So if, if that's the case, if there aren't, if there aren't long they're, camps, I mean, they're going to go with guys that they're familiar with and comfortable with. And they yeah. know with. they're not going to give guys that they don't know anything about just a, a free look yeah. in, a, in a regular season game. Right? No, exactly. I mean, if you're a first round draft pick, you're probably going to stick around. But the the thing is, it's already hard to make a team as a third through sixth round draft pick. But guys make it. And just look at Jordan Gillis and Joey Capito. And I mean, there's Kyle Buchanan, some great examples. But there's there's no way if you're a third through fourth, third through sixth round draft pick, you're getting a sniff at a a team this year if you can't go to camp. I just don't see how it could happen. Yeah, me either, man. Uh, last one here for me, Stamper, and, and we got to let mm-hmm. you go because we're way over time here uh, this week on, <laughs> on Lax Class. But uh, I know IL yeah. Indoor is rolling out their top 50 right now. Uh, what mm-hmm. number What number are you at right now? Uh, 21 came out today. We had uh, we got a tie at 21, Joey Capito and Tom Schreiber. Okay, so here's the question. Just tell us right here in Lacrosse Classified who was number one overall. And then a follow-up question to that. Tell us who's going to win uh, the NLL Cup this season. Uh, no comment on who's number one. You'll have to stay tuned. Um, but I would think most of you could guess based on last year who, uh, who it was. Um, the, and it was an almost unanimous choice for, for number one. Um, the winner of the NLL Cup this year is actually really – challenging because Saskatchewan loses some guys, right? I mean, they're the obvious favorite winning three of the last four. They've got Evan Kirk's going to be more comfortable. They've got Connor Robinson coming in. I don't even know how he fits into that left side. They've got so much depth already. I think they're they're the favorites. My dark horse is the Buffalo Bandits mm. to come in and actually make a huge rise this year. They've turned over about half their defense with guys that they've picked up in some trades and in the draft with uh, Matt Gilroy, Matt Gilray, and uh, Ian McKay. Mm-hmm. And I am fairly confident we're going to see a, a big upgrade in net for them as well. All right. So, Stephen yeah. Stamp, you're predicting Saskatchewan and Buffalo in the NLL final. You heard it here first right here on Lacrosse Classified on Lax All-Stars. Uh, Stephen I'm sorry to cut you off. We're real short on time, but we appreciate your time coming on, and uh, we'll look for you to come back on a little further down the road. 
Sounds good. Hopefully things work out. We have a season starting when it should, and uh, we all have stuff to talk about. Couldn't agree more. Steven Stamp of IL Indoor right here on Lacrosse Classified. Not done yet. One more guest to roll out also from IL Indoor. Steve Bermel coming up here on Lacrosse Classified, presented by Extreme Threats and Associated Labels and Packaging right here on Lacrosse All-Stars. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Classified. Jake Elliott, Evan Scheminar with you, and now joined by a new member of Indoor IL Indoor, I should say, and that's Steve Bermel. Uh, the move from the beat writer for the Buffalo Bandits to to the big website on IL Indoor. Uh, just talk about that, Steve. How did that all come about, and how are things going for you? Uh, I actually worked for Indoor originally and was hired away from Indoor uh, by the league maybe five or six years ago. And uh, unfortunately, there uh, maybe were some differences in ideas of what I could provide as far as content. And uh, I reached back out to Stephen Stamp at IL Indoor and uh, definitely grateful to be back working with them, uh, especially in the midst of these uh, CBA negotiations that you guys have been talking about. Uh, I'm pretty sure I may not have been able to say or report a lot of what I've been uh, given over these past few weeks if I was still working for the league so I certainly appreciated my time there but I'm grateful uh, to have a, a more expanded role with indoor working more as a columnist as opposed to uh, beat recap and uh, kind of preview and recap guys so I'm looking forward to kind of having uh, for lack of better terms the training wheels off and covering the NLL as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I are in the same boat here. Trying to get any information on the CBA up until the last few days was uh, a difficult task, not anybody really saying anything. Um, where do you see this going? You know, Do you see a deal getting done any time in the near future? I think, as silly as it is, both teams, both sides need each other. So I do think a deal is going to get done. Um, I believe the league is in a pretty tender spot with these expansion teams coming in and with, you know, the Vancouver market changing. So I think that the owners need a product on the floor and also the players, you know, they need the job. This is no dig against the players whatsoever, but in other major sports, if there is a lockout or a strike, they've got enough money socked away from the salaries that they've made. A lot of these guys, they, they need the money to play uh, because lacrosse doesn't pay a whole lot of money. So, uh, I do think that both sides need each other enough that we'll see a deal done. Um, I'm not sure what you guys have heard so far today, but I have heard that uh, the, the canceling of games is, I won't say inevitable, okay, but it's its possible, very possible, that we could see uh, a couple games. I don't know what you guys have heard previously with yes today, but um, I don't see a season being lost. I think it might just be a couple of games. Yeah, I think that's probably the general consensus, Steve. I, I, I've heard as early as Tuesday, Wednesday, we could see games start to be canceled. Uh, I think there's, there's parties out there that are – you know, more than willing to cancel the entire season if if they have to. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, with that said, uh, you're obviously a, a Buffalo resident and probably closest to the Bandits uh, over the last five, six years or so, as you mentioned. Stephen Stamp, who was just on before you, your boss, uh, predicting the Saskatchewan Buffalo final. What do you think the outlook for the Banditos is coming up here in 2019? They, they were, it, every person says this about a team that they cover, it feels like they're just a few pieces away. 
uh, and Buffalo certainly uh, does feel like they're a few pieces away. Uh, Goaltending is a question mark right now, although a lot of people are trying to fill in the blank with what they think uh, may have happened in free agency. Um, but obviously that still remains a question mark. It would feel like if they were trading away Bouquet that they've got something lined up in the pipeline for goaltending. But they need a defensive guy. They want to play a quick transition game that involves scooping the ball up and getting it up the floor. And obviously with uh, with Gilray and McKay, both of those guys are going to provide that for them. And uh, they should make a quick impact and a noticeable impact uh, on the floor. They did not have issues offensively, I don't feel. Uh, it felt like the games where they struggled offensively, it may have stemmed from struggling in their own end first. So I do think that picking at three and four um, has, has changed the dynamic of this team in such a way. And then, of course, the coaching changes with Tavares mm. and Gilgore taking over. That, that feels like it'll be a good thing. You would think they're going to be players' coaches. A lot of young guys on the team might really like being coached by those guys. Definitely will be a different style than what Coach Cordingly provided. So I don't know if I see them in the finals, but I do see a much improved team. Rather than being a bubble playoff team, I find it hard to find a way that they don't make the playoffs this year. Well, maybe people in Buffalo uh, have a hard time believing their their teams are going to do well as some of them have played lately. <laughs> but um, oh, spoiler alert, actually, I do have Buffalo going to the finals myself as well. Um, on the IL indoor side, what can we expect to see from you this year? I, I am going to be writing one piece a week, be it breaking news, be it uh, developing stories, be it some form of column or feature. Um, so previously with my work with NLL.com, I would write a game preview and a game recap with a feature here and there sprinkled throughout. Um, now, uh, I hope I, especially with the CBA information, I hope that I have enough sources and enough uh, contacts that when a story is developing or something um, is happening in the league, that I'll be able to reach out and get that story and hopefully get a fresh perspective on it. Because obviously, there's certain expectations when you write for the league itself of how you need to uh, uh put your story across and how you need to put it into writing and not that it won't be professional coming from the aisle. And now you can completely but, uh, trash have... them. What's that? So now you can completely <laughs> trash them anytime you want. Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain degree of being, you know, of, of, that I can be candid. There's a certain degree of candidness that, you know, I can bring as far as a feature or a breaking story. You know, there were, as silly as it is, there were a lot of trades that would happen in the NLL over the years that I couldn't say a word about because my role was to be the beat reporter for the Buffalo Bandits. Right, so, right. like, when I Iannucci was traded, I knew the morning of that that was going to happen. And I asked my bosses at the league, hey, can I tweet this out? And they said no, flat yeah. out, because it wasn't my story well, again. I, yeah, I got so it. I'm hopeful now that I'll have these opportunities. Yeah, it is. It is. I got to admit, it is quite liberating to not be affiliated with with any team and to not have a, a so-called filter on uh on my voice or my opinion uh so i i know where you're coming from on that steve uh listen uh sorry to cut you short we've had a long uh long episode here on, on lacrosse classified this week and and i think you've done a fantastic job kind of letting out information up until this point where the PLPA has decided to to make their comments public. You've been a nice job delivering information to the fans as we've moved along here. Best of luck uh, with the upcoming season at IL Indoor, and I look forward to to checking out your work throughout the year and hopefully uh, have you back on the podcast here before too long. And see, where can people catch you just so they, uh, they know where to find you online? Sure. 
Uh, currently, obviously, IONindoor.com is the, that is where uh, we're currently doing our top 50 players. So you'll see some comments from me there and all the staff. But at Steve Bermel, B-E-R-M-E-L, that's the Twitter handle. Just my first and last name. Uh, that's where you've been finding most of the CBA information that I've been given coming out. So, All right, Steve, thanks, right. Uh, thanks for your time and best of luck, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Steve Bermel from IL Indoor, as we're just about done here on Lacrosse Classified. Uh, Evan, what a whale of a first episode here. A big thank you to our guests, Brad Challoner, Stephen Stamp, Stephen Bermel, and of course the president of the PLPA, Peter Schmitz, and the executive director, Dave Suckamore, all for stopping by the podcast. Uh, hope the fans enjoyed it. Glad to be back. Happy to be on Lacrosse All-Stars. And once again, a big thank you to our sponsors, ExtremeThreads.ca and Associated Labels and Packaging. Make sure you check those guys out. We're going to gussy things up here a little bit as we move along. We wanted to make sure we got this podcast out while the information was relevant with the CBA. But the plan is to, to get some commercials going and get some ad spots, get some player promos going and all sorts of stuff here as we move along on the podcast. This is just the beginning but thanks for tuning in hope everybody enjoyed the show this week we'll be back with another episode coming out every tuesday midday is when we plan to release it and make sure you check all your social media channels on lacrosse all-stars on my twitter feed at pxb for sports you can find evan schemenauer at evan schemenauer you got to tighten up that twitter handle by the way evan. i got a brand new label today it's okay lay it on me spell it out now s-c-h-e-m-l-a-x there you go. Shemlax is where you can find Evan, and you can also find his work at the Random Thoughts blog on Lacrosse All-Stars. All right, that's going to wrap it up. A big thank you to our guests once again, to our sponsors, and, of course, to you, the loyal listener here on Lacrosse Classified on Lacrosse All-Stars. we got to wrap it up. We are way overdue. Thanks for joining us for the fastest game on two feet. And for the creator, we'll talk to you next week here on Lacrosse Classified.